well, Matt's not here today. It's me. Wah, wah. No, I'm just joking. Um, real quick, hey, I just want to say thank you to Matt and to Christy because he's been volunteering all of his time over the last, since they've been back in town here for this church. So that's a really big deal. So huge thank you to them. Okay, you ever heard this name? Oscar Schindler. Some of us became familiar with this name by the award-winning movie. It's called Schindler's List. That's right. Now, this movie briefly touches on his sketchy past, but it more so focuses on the story of how he rescued more than 1,100 Jews during the Holocaust. Schindler, he was an unlikely hero. He had several unsuccessful careers. He was in constant debt and chaos. He was a known womanizer. Uh, He had multiple affairs, multiple failed marriages. He was an alcohol abuser. He was arrested a lot uh, for public drunkenness and fighting. You probably didn't know that about him because we consider him a hero. But that was his life. Now, before World War II started, he was a citizen of Czechoslovakia. He became a spy for the Germans. After World War II started, he officially joined the Nazi party, and he tried to find business opportunities that he could capitalize on and make himself rich during the war. In January of 1940, he leased a factory from the Nazis in Poland. This factory was seized from a Jewish man because... After Germany invaded, all the Jews were stripped of their civil rights. They couldn't own anything. It is in this factory and the changes that Oscar made over the next couple of years that are the highlight of this movie. Here's how the scene was portrayed. That's the factory. Um, We actually have pictures of the factory. This is now a Holocaust Museum. This factory is actually now today a Holocaust Museum. And this movie highlights how Oscar himself changed as a human being. How he turned his life around from the the ways I just described him, and that's how everyone knew him. And through the course of this movie, it shows the deep levels of change that are possible within humanity Oscar, you see, he began to bribe the Nazi officers because he was a very wealthy man. He bribed them to try and keep the Jewish workers alive until the war ended. And he saved as many as he could. And if you remember this powerful closing scene from the movie Schindler's List, you see Oscar standing outside the factory. He's surrounded by those he helped to keep alive. And he's weeping. And he says, I wish I just could have saved just one more. Now, Oscar, he turned his life around big time. He stopped living for only himself, his selfish ways, his own pleasures. And he changed the trajectory of his life and thousands of other people who surrounded him. Today, we're going to look at a man in scripture who did the same. Things were bad. This man was bad, but he turned it around, and he did a lot of good. This man that we're going to be talking about today from the scripture, his name is Manasseh. 
Anybody here ever heard of Manasseh before? A lot of people, most people haven't. If you're new to church or even if you've read the Bible, uh, I've found that most of us, we haven't, we're not familiar with Manasseh or who he is. He's actually, his story's in the Bible twice. It's in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, both Old Testament. And I'm going to invite James to come up and to read Manasseh's story from 2 Chronicles. We're going to read the whole story. It's 16 verses. Can you do that? Can you listen for 16? Okay, 16 whole verses. It's going to take at least two minutes. All right. So (laughs) James is going to come up. He's going to read. And as James is reading, here's what I want you to look for. I want you to see. Now, Manasseh was one of the kings of Israel. He brought Israel away from God into depths of depravity. And then God changed him, and Manasseh began to do good. So that's what I want you to look for as we hear his story. Second Chronicles 33, 1-16. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the powers of heaven and worshiped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord the place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with the mediums and the psychics. Did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even took a carved idol he made and set it up in God's temple, the very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, My name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies And they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord of his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. After this, Manasseh built the outer wall of the city of David from the west of the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley to the Fish Gate and continuing around the hill of Ophel. He built the wall very high 
and he stationed his military officers in all the fortified towns of Judah. Manasseh also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the, God, of, of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Thanks, James. His voice is way better than mine, so we want him to read the long stuff. All right. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. And through those 16 verses, we see the depth of depravity that the king, the leader, brought the entire nation of Judah into. Some terribly bad stuff, some evil stuff. And what we can learn from that is where the leader goes, so the nation follows. Remember that in a few months from now. Okay, if you're familiar with the Bible, you might recognize who Manasseh's father was. Does anybody, did anybody catch it? Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the kings who actually took the nation of Israel out of their sin and back to God. And because of that, God blessed the nation of Israel and he protected them while Hezekiah was king. Hezekiah became king when he was only 25 years old. You can read his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. He removed all of the idol worship that uh, was happening in Jerusalem and he led a revival for the people of Israel. Manasseh, his son, didn't want to follow in the footsteps of his father, Hezekiah. Instead, he followed in the footsteps of one of the very worst kings of all of Israel's uh, history. We spoke about him last week, actually. His name was Ahab. Remember Ahab? Ahab and Jezebel. That's right. We mentioned Jezebel and Ahab and Elijah's story last week. Remember how Ahab, he set up these idols to worship Baal and Asherah? Manasseh brought those idols back. Hezekiah destroyed them. Manasseh, his son, brought them back and caused the nation of Israel to begin worshiping these false gods again. Not only did he bring these false gods back, he actually introduced worse gods to the nation of Israel. You may have caught when James was reading, he said in the scriptures, it says that Manasseh sacrificed his own children to the demon god Molech. You ever heard that name before? Molech is the demon god that would receive child sacrifice. You would take your child, sacrifice it to this god. Sacrifice your children, take their lives in order to make yours easier. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is opposite of the gospel. The spirit of Christ says, I will die in order to save you. The spirit of the Antichrist says, you will die in order to save me. And as I was reading this and thinking about it, I was thinking about our culture in the United States today, and is, does our culture have more the spirit of Christ or more the spirit of the Antichrist 
when it comes to our children or our unborn children. And there are still plenty of people today who knowingly or unknowingly worship Moloch because we are under the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, Manasseh, he also turned God's holy temple into a place of Ritual prostitution. This is wild. They would have sex in church, okay? And it was just like all kinds of sex, like heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, sex with children, all kinds of depravity taking place, and they called that worship, and it was all done by prostitutes. That's where Manasseh brought the nation of Israel. Kill your children and turned the temple into a place of prostitution. It's no wonder God was angry with him. Manasseh was a mess. And he ran so far from God. And then he found himself at the very bottom of the barrel. He came to his senses eventually. And he returned to God. That's his story. And here's one thing we can learn from that. It's often our pain that brings us to repentance. Isn't that true? It's been true in my life. Has it been true in yours? Often our pain is what causes us to run back to God. Now, Manasseh, he's often called the prodigal king. Maybe that word sounds familiar. There's another story in the scriptures called the prodigal son. Prodigal means wayward. And this story of Manasseh, how he runs from God and then returns to God, it parallels the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was a story told by Jesus in the book of Luke. And Jesus is telling the story. And uh, if it were told today, maybe a more modern rendition, it would go something like this. Um, a rich man from Del Mar had two sons. The older son served his father faithfully. He worked for the family business and he did all the right things. But the younger son, you see, he liked to party. One day, the younger son says to his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now, half of everything. And the father did it. The younger son took all of his money and he went to, you know where he went? Vegas. You're right. How'd you know? He, that's where you would go, right? He went to Vegas. He lived it up. He had a penthouse, prostitutes, drugs, gambling. He threw huge parties and he had tons of friends. That is until the money ran out. And it wasn't long until he found himself living on the streets of Vegas in the middle of summer. When he got to his lowest point, he thought about his father and his home and even how the people that work for his dad have it way better than he does. And maybe his father would take him back, not as a son, but maybe as a worker. So embarrassed and with nothing left, he tries to return home. And as the son is walking up down the street to his father's house, his father sees him coming and his father gets up and runs towards him, not to punch him, but to embrace him. The father calls all of his friends, neighbors. He throws this huge welcome home party. They had a taco guy and everything. It was great. A party for the lost son because he had returned home. Can you see the parallels in the two stories? The prodigal king and the prodigal son. And we see this theme in scripture over and over again. We think we know best we indulge in our desires. We start to run from God. We hit a wall. We hit rock bottom. We cry out and we return. And that's a theme in scripture, but it's also a theme in our own lives. 
And what I want us to understand is that no matter what, God is for us. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, God is for us. So real quick, I want to share a couple lessons from the prodigal king and the prodigal son. Here's the first one. If you're on the app, you can write this down. Or if you're taking notes, God loves me perfectly and patiently. We see this in both stories. When they were at their worst, God was patient with them. And he loved them. You see, a father never gives up hope for his children. No matter how far they run, a father never gives up hope for his children. And we've taught this next truth uh, for many years here in this church. Here's how the statement goes. God loves me just as I am, and he loves me way too much to let me stay there. There's two important truths here. Here's the first one. Nothing you can ever do will make God love you any more or less than he does right now. God's love is perfect, and thankfully, it doesn't fluctuate based on how we behave. God's love doesn't change based on your behavior. It's consistent, and it's perfect. God loves me just as I am, and he loves me way too much to let me stay there. Here's the second part. This teaches us that God does not want us to stay in our sin or our struggles in our pain. He wants us to grow out of our selfish ways. He wants us to become the people he created us to be so that we can do all the things that he planned for us to do. Are you becoming the person that God created you to be? Are you doing the things that God has created you to do? God doesn't want us to waste years of our life outside of his plan. But when we do, he loves us patiently. And I think he'll do just about anything along the way to get our attention. When we're out there running, God will go really far out of his way to get our attention. Don't ignore when God is calling you back home. So God's loving Patience is seen through the next couple of lessons here. Here's the next one. God loves me enough to let me run. Both Manasseh and the lost son, they ran as far away from God as they possibly could. They worshipped all kinds of different idols, false gods, got into witchcraft. Uh, the lost son, he sought after every kind of pleasure. In Jesus' story... The father didn't stop his son from leaving home. He let him go. When he said, I wish you were dead, give me some money, I'm out of here. He let him go. He let him run. And God lets us run too. He lets us run in hopes that we will get to the end of ourselves and realize that the only thing we need is actually the only thing we have. And that's God himself. He's the answer. And the things we're running to don't satisfy. Because every time we become tired, we usually run to something other than God. It's an addiction. It's a habit. It's something destructive, perhaps. And God is waiting for us to bottom out, and his arms are open, and he's saying, you're welcome home. It's time to come home. 
God will let us run. Here's another lesson. God loves me enough to give me a warning. It's like when you're driving down the road and you see those red and blue lights flashing behind you in the rearview mirror. And you get pulled over and what's the first thing the officer says? They ask you a question and they say, do you know why I pulled you over? Yes. Are you a cop? Because you have to tell me if you're a cop. Okay. They say, do you know why I pulled you over? And let's be honest, you know why they pulled you over. (laughs) Because you were speeding or you rolled through that stop sign or you didn't quite make it through the yellow light or you've been trying to get around to paying your registration. You just have been neglecting it for the last six months. And instead, we lie and we answer, say, no, officer, I don't know why you pulled me over. And if you're lucky, you'll get off with a warning. You ever been let off with a warning? I haven't. They always give me tickets. They let my wife off with a warning, but they always give me tickets. Warnings are given to try to keep us and the people around us from experiencing harm. Excessive speeding, that can lead to you losing control of your vehicle, or running a red light can cause a terrible wreck. Rolling through a stop sign can injure a pedestrian. And when we receive a warning, it's to wake us up to the danger we're headed towards. God gave Manasseh multiple warnings because he loved him. He was trying to wake him up. He was trying to call him home. And God loves you enough to give you warnings as well. He might be saying the relationship that you're a part of, it's not healthy. That business practice is going to get you into trouble. That habit is going to enslave you. Listen to him. When he speaks, listen to him. So God loves you enough to let you run. He also loves you enough to give you warnings along the way and to create a chance for change. Manasseh, he didn't listen to God's warnings and eventually God allowed Manasseh to be taken away and enslaved by the Assyrian Empire. Remember that part of the reading they said they put a ring in his nose? He became a slave. What are the things that are enslaving us today? What are the things that God has been warning us about? Danger, danger. I don't care, God. I'm walking down that road. And we find ourselves enslaved by those things. Manasseh was carried away as a captive. He was put in chains. This was representing the pattern of his own sinful bondage that he had brought himself and the nation of Israel into with all the false idol worship. You see, God allowed something bad to happen to him in hopes that it could create some change. We see the same thing in the story of the prodigal son. He ends up in a really bad place. God allows his choices to put him in a difficult situation. And it's in the difficulty that he comes to his senses. This is a hard truth. God sometimes allows, God sometimes allows trouble and trials to come into our lives in hopes that we'll wake up and come to our senses and return to him. And when we do, 
Here's one last lesson. God loves me and he restores me. When we come to our senses and we return to God, he will love us and he will restore us. The prodigal son, he returns home. He confesses his sin to the father. He's embraced as a son again. Manasseh, he's finally humbled in captivity. He repents to God. He repents of his sin. He turns to God and he's restored back to the position of king. He went from king to slave to king. After his repentance, God restored him fully. Both of these restorations, the lost son and King Manasseh, they were conditional upon their own repentance. Not before, after. Repentance means to turn around. It's a new direction. We say God's only a half turn away. We say I'm walking down the road. I'm finding myself getting into pain and difficulty. But God is only a half a turn away. This is a half turn. I'm walking one direction. I stop and I go the opposite direction. I'm headed back to God. That's repentance. And wherever you're at in your life, God is only a half turn away. Jesus, in his story, he didn't tell us what happens to the lost son after this, but we know what happened to Manasseh. He finished strong. He turned his life around. He went back to Jerusalem. He removed all of the idols and all the idol worship. He turned his heart back to God and he turned the nation of Judah back to God as well. He repented. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and in a few moments, we're gonna share in a song called Reckless Love. And this song speaks to how God goes really far out of his way to get our attention. And the further we run, the more he chases after us. To the ends of the earth, your heavenly father will run after you in hopes that you repent and return to him. Just as the prodigal son and King Manasseh were restored we can be restored to into a relationship with God. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And as we sing this song, I want us all to consider in our own lives God, where am I running? Where am I enslaved? Can I really come back to you? I want to come back to you. I feel like I'm in chains. God, can you set me free? And I invite you to participate in those thoughts, in this moment, in a true interaction with God, our creator. Let's pray together. God, we know you are loving and chasing us in hopes of our return. And friends, maybe you're here today and you're, you're running from God. Maybe you've been running for years. Maybe you've been living hard and ignoring all the warnings that have come into your life, just like Manasseh. Let today be the day you turn around.
Some of us, we've rebelled against the faith of our parents, just like Manasseh did. And today is the day we come home. We return to a God who has never stopped loving us. Or perhaps you're here like the lost son, and you've just come to the end of yourself. It's time to come home. Or maybe things aren't that bad for you. Maybe you've come to the end of all your success or or money or experiences and you're realizing that's not what satisfies. And today is the day to return to Jesus and know that he satisfies. So if you can identify with any of these things and you just wanna say, I'm coming back to God today as a moment between you and God and even me, would you raise your hand? I'm gonna say a prayer. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer, just slip your hand in the air. Yep, all over. I see your hands and God sees them. So Lord, we pray with our hands in the air, receive us back. We repent. We're turning our life around. We're headed towards you, God. And I know that you receive us back with open arms. So in response to the step of faith that we are taking in this moment, God, would you show your love? Would you show your forgiveness? Would you provide healing? Would you provide protection in our lives? And restore us fully back into a relationship with you, our God, our Savior. Thank you for being our Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.